Please pray with me. God, it's an awe-inspiring and humbling thing to know in our hearts the power of your resurrection. So give us the courage this day not to wait for something new to happen, but to know that you have given us hope, that you have called us to justice, and you have shown us the way to love. In awe and humility, help us to live this day and every day as Resurrection Day, knowing that we are your resurrection. Amen. The Easter story always begins with testimony. It's the one story that's told about this final week and these final days in the life of Jesus that lacks a lot of detail in the way it's described in our Gospels. Save for this short story in Matthew, there's no eyewitness account. And even in Matthew, there's not an eyewitness account. There's something that happens that reveals it to the women. If the guards at the tomb saw anything happen, they don't say anything about it. None of our Gospels have stories of the actual moment of the resurrection, and they have very few details about it. Mark says nothing. Matthew has this story with the guards, but then goes on right after the gospel we read to talk about how the guards were perhaps paid off uh, to not say anything. Luke has the story, he's not here, he's risen, and that proclamation. And John has Mary Magdalene and Peter in a foot race back to the tomb to see who's going to see it first. So while none of them have details about the actual moment of resurrection, the actual coming back to life of the dead body of Jesus, all of them, except Mark, have experiences of the resurrection that are talked about. Stories of appearances, stories with details uh, for us to read. Matthew, in the story we read for this morning, has the women, as they were leaving the tomb, that have an an experience of seeing the risen Jesus and falling down at his feet and worshiping him. Luke has two different stories. He has the Emmaus Road story where the disciples are, clear, are walking down the road and a stranger appears to them, and they only learn later when they get back in their house and he, the person breaks the bread that here is the risen Christ among them. And then there's another story of Jesus appearing in a locked room full of disciples later that day, uh, later that evening that Luke talks about as well. Then in John, John has the most. He has four stories of the appearance of the the risen Christ. There's Mary and her encounter with the gardener, where at the call of her name, she recognizes who it is. There's Jesus breathing on the disciples and saying, receive the Spirit. You remember that story? There's Thomas, who missed out on that. Maybe he was out getting groceries or something, and he has his encounter later where Jesus shows him the wounds. And then there's the shore lunch, Jesus cooking breakfast for the disciples on the shore and his encounter with Peter where he tells him to feed my sheep. Even Paul, 
Even the Apostle Paul, who wrote a lot, or we give a credit for the, a lot of the rest of our New Testament, who wrote before any of these Gospels was written, even he has a story about an encounter on the road to Damascus where he had a great and blinding light and a voice, an appearance of the resurrected Christ to him. So all of these stories about appearances, about experiences of the resurrected Christ, but very little detail about the moment when the guy got up off of the whatever it was in the tomb to begin with. Very few details. Easter always begins with testimony of people who experience the resurrection. First, the women who went to the other disciples to tell them, that they had, what they had experienced and seen. And this is the nature of testimony, isn't it? To talk about what we experience, to talk about what we see, and to talk about what we hear. My Easter testimony always begins with the hymn, Christ the Lord is Risen Today. I never, ever, ever, ever get through that hymn without crying, and today was not an exception. Ours the cross, the grave, the skies. Always, I always see the faces of ones that we've lost in my heart and in my eyes. I recognize the sting of death, the hurt, the sorrow, the heartbreak that we all experience in life. And I hear those words echo through. Ours the cross, the grave, the skies. The clouds lifted, at least some, in that moment. <coughs> but there's another word that's part of my testimony of that song as well, and it's today. It's the immediacy of it, that it's not something that we're waiting for to happen. It's not something that just happened in the past, that it's something that happened and is happening today. We are experiencing the resurrected Christ. <coughs> And I am experiencing lilies. <sighs> we'll make it. <laughs> I read a book the last month by John and Sarah Crossan. Uh, John Crossan is a noted New Testament scholar of our time, a biblical scholar of our time. His wife, Sarah, is a photographer. And over the last 20 years, they did a bit of an art history project of studying early depictions of the resurrection. Not just early depictions, but throughout the last 2,000 years, uh, the ways that Christians, faithful people, depicted the resurrection. <clears throat> and what they found in their work was that there's really two traditions of the ways that Christians experienced this and painted it. <coughs> or carved it. First was an individual resurrection. It's the first one ever uh, that you fall, found. Interesting, Jesus is not a bodily form in the earliest images of the resurrection. Um, uh, you, see, you see an empty cross there, and you see two guards. Maybe they're asleep, maybe they're not. Oftentimes, the depiction of the guards, one is sleeping, one is maybe looking up, and that's how they justify the whole story in Matthew of them getting paid off to keep them, their mouths shut. Jesus starts as a symbol, then you see images uh, progressing from there as Jesus uh, emerging from a tomb, one powerful one, shows a partially open coffin with a figure, a human figure in it, and a bird like a dove breathing life into it. 
right? That's kind of an interesting image of what the resurrection might have looked like. Then you see Jesus standing on top of the tomb with guards sleeping, sometimes some other characters, and as it develops from there, the latest ones are of Jesus floating above an empty tomb with all kinds of people uh, around him. It's the most popular image in the West. And oftentimes later, the women are brought into the depiction, the angels, things like that. So that's the earliest image of the resurrection and the one that took on the most prominence in the Western tradition of the church. But there's another one, another tradition that's important as well, and they call this the universal resurrection. It's one that developed later, but it took on more prominence in the Eastern wing of the church. (coughs) There's an image in this one first of Jesus trampling on the gates of Hades of a character standing there, sometimes, sometimes a gate with broken locks and chains, uh, often, personif- often a personified image of Hades underneath, sometimes both. There's often some other character, characters there. There's Abel and John the Baptist are often painted into this image of the resurrection, probably because in the Old Testament and the New, Abel and John the Baptist are the first martyrs, and so they're depicted that way. David, King David and King Solomon are often put in there. David with a beard, Solomon without, you know, to indicate who's dad and who's not. Thank you. Uh, And you wonder why, and there's the kingship. Thank you. The connections to Jesus as uh, Lord, maybe also because it was often rich people that uh, commissioned these pieces of art and they wanted to see themselves in the image. But the most powerful part of these universal resurrection images is Jesus taking the hand of Adam and then later taking the hand of Eve and pulling them out from Hades, holding onto their hands and pulling them out. There's even later ones that's like a conga line of resurrection, of, him, of Jesus holding the hands of Adam and holding the hands of Eve and a line of people wrapped around behind them, and it's like Jesus is leading them all out. It's a sign of a universal resurrection. It's a sign of Jesus not just conquering death, but rescuing everyone. These are images that were borrowed from coins in the ancient world. Roman coins that would show the emperor uh, conquering a foe by stepping down on them or by leading out oppressed people into the freedom and peace that Rome offered to them. In the Western tradition, these images were sometimes called the harrowing of hell or the descent of Hades, right? It's the way that we figured out, well, what was Jesus doing on that Saturday? What should we say? And so this is what the West often did. But in the, in the East, these images always have a single word over them, and that word is anastasis. Anastasis. My daughter can tell you what that word means. <laughs> yep. Anastasis, it means resurrection. It means uprising. It means drawing out. It remembers these Roman coinage images that are borrowed in the Eastern church that are ways of telling the story remember the political nature of our Easter story as well. It's a reminder to us that the way of Jesus, the way of truth, of justice, and nonviolent love is the true way of liberation over and against all earthly powers and empires. Let me say that again. The way of Jesus, the way of truth, Justice and nonviolent love is the true way of liberation over and against all earthly powers and empires, whether it's Rome or it's the principalities and powers and empires in our world today. 
Empires are those places that use all of their military and economic power to shape the world in a way that's to their best interest. They use all of their economic and military power to shape the world in the way that's to their best interest. I'll let you use your imagination about who is the empire in the world today. And they do it in their warring madness in our world. <coughs> Anastasis, resurrection, leading people out of death, leading them to, res- re- re- um, to resurrection, to new life, is an uprising not just coming up from death, but it's an uprising, a movement of people, a movement of a following of people in a political sense, offering an alternative to the ways of the world that's rooted in an activist crucifixion. Jesus is killed by the empire and says no in the resurrection. See, the advent of the resurrection of the dead was not a new concept for Jewish people. Ascension was part of their story as well. Rome and Judaism both had stories of ascension. Jesus, you know the story of Elijah. There's other stories in our Bible of significant people being swept up into heaven. Rome had those stories too. They had images of emperors that never died. They were just swept up into heaven. But resurrection, Judaism had a resurrection tradition, and it was never just one person. Their image of the resurrection was that a universal resurrection, a day of reckoning, where all of those who died unjustly would be rose again and led into a new freedom, into a new day of God's justice. So our images of resurrection are not just Jesus, one man floating above an empty tomb, but it's him taking the hand of every man and every woman and everyone behind them and leading them into a new season leading them into a new day that's not just a day for beautiful hymns and songs and flowers that make us cough, but a new reality, a new world, a new way of being today in our world, against the empires of our world today. Some implications of that. First is remember... That Christ lifts you up. Christ leads you out. Christ tramples down everything that holds you back. Adam and Eve are all of us, as well as each of us. What chains and locks have bound you? Know that the love of Christ has broken every chain and has set the prisoner free. What oppressions and hurts have held you back? Know that Christ reaches out to you with love and mercy and grace to lift you up to life and to lead you out to the way of justice and love. You have received justice. You are loved You have been led on the path of personal transformation through death to resurrection. You are raised with Christ. Implication number two is to remember that the resurrection is not a past event, but it's a present reality. That God is at work resurrecting the dead. 
There's a parade being led out of Hades, not hell in place of torment. That's not what they meant. Their images of Hades was the place of death, the place of unexistence, non-existence. Hell is something we added to the story later. It's a story of the vindication of the righteous ones, is what it's an image of. A vindication of the resurrection of the righteous ones. That's an ongoing story. That's the ongoing mission of faithful people everywhere. It's vindication for the attenders of the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh. It's vindication for the worshipers at a mosque in Christchurch in New Zealand. And it's vindication for worshipers in their churches just this morning in Sri Lanka. Resurrection is their vindication that violence and injustice will not win the day, that the God of the universe has a different plan. For the black teenager that's harassed by police when he's done nothing, for the gay girl that's kicked out of her church, never allowed to come again, for the woman who no one ever believes, but she keeps telling the truth about what happened to her, resurrection is their vindication. It's their vindication that violence and injustice will not win the day, but the way of Jesus, the way of truth and justice and nonviolent love will. Third implication, it's not just one, it's each and every one. You are resurrection. You're not just raised with Christ, you are the resurrection. The fullness of resurrection is not something we are waiting to come on the clouds. We are resurrection. We are at work today resurrecting the dead. When you feed the hungry, when you listen to the brokenhearted, when you comfort the hurting, when you pray with a friend, when you testify to the goodness of your experience of resurrection, when you walk in the way of Jesus, you are the resurrection today. When the frightened know they're safe, when the oppressed know they are uplifted, when we join Christ in trampling down all that is wrong and evil in our world, and when we work to lead out all who are hurting and downtrodden into new life, we are resurrection. You are resurrection. The Crossans tell a story in their book, a powerful image, not of artwork, but of a liturgy that they experienced on the island of Cyprus in their travels. As part of an Easter vigil, the town, you know, many of the townspeople, they gather outside the church in the graveyard, things like that. There's, there's a fire and things like that that happen. But the moment that they remember, that they tell in this book that's so powerful, is about the moment going back into the church where the priest, leading the way, pushes against the doors of the church to open them, but resisting him is the oldest person in town, the frailest person in town. There might be some ageism in their liturgy, but the image is clear of what's happening, is that the gates of death, the gates of Haiti, the gates of the empire are held by nothing but weakness. And that we, the resurrected ones, being led by the resurrected Christ, push those doors open. It's a reminder that nothing can stop the power of the love of God unleashed on our world in Christ and in you. 
Christ has been raised and you have been raised with him. You are resurrection, friends. So open the doors, tear down the gates, proclaim the day of freedom and life and justice and live out the calling to love. You carry our hope in your heart and in your hands. You proclaim life for all of us with your voices and with your footsteps. You are love. You are justice. You are resurrection. Amen.